Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Knoxville reached out to Dr. Drew and said, I think we're gonna, we're gonna lose Steve-O. And Dr. Drew said, I couldn't agree more. Get over there and if you have to tie him up, if you have to throw him in a trunk, if you have to, whatever you do, take him to the hospital and then get him 5150. And I made that very easy for them because like I had put in writing myself, like the very words that qualified me for the 5150, which is, you know, harmful to yourself or others. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Welcome back. I'm very excited to share with you part two of my interview with Steve-O. It's really inspirational and incredible. And if you listen to episode one, you're in for a treat for episode two. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Now, you have to explain to our audience this, because this doesn't make sense to me, okay? So, you say that you taped yourself over and over again before the first right. special, and you didn't watch any... I did. I did. But it would just make me self-conscious, and the experience was, was upsetting for me, where I, where I would just turn it off, I'd put it away. But explain to our audience how it's possible for you to feel uncomfortable watching 11 minutes of yourself doing stand-up, but not swimming with sharks when you're f***ed up or where you could be eaten or having Johnny Knoxville hit baseballs at you 24 hours so before funny. you're about to perform. So if one of them hits you in the well, head you're out of the special and all right, the work it, you it, did it wasn't it, we we filmed it uh with the the jackass reunion piece was in october and that way that one like i i'm i'm plus i'm on probation so like 
being duct taped to the truck going down the highway is, is, is high risk. And my life would be really difficult if, if, you know, a cop saw me and. So you're putting all this money into the special, <laughs> your own money, and you're risking the chance that you could lose it all, yet you can't watch 11 minutes of yourself. <laughs> could you explain uh, to our audience the psychology behind that? I have irrational fears, man. I have irrational fears. So man, one of your same. fears is self-evaluation of your stand-up. One of your fears I know is spiders. What else are your fears? Uh, I don't like roller coasters. If you can believe that, I'm perfectly comfortable. I, you know, uh, I jumped out of an airplane with no parachute into the ocean. You know, I jumped off of a speeding trampoline off of a bridge. You know, and and yet I I cannot comfortably get on a roller coaster. So there's some issue with control there, and and I, I don't know what it is. I couldn't bungee jump, and I had a. And here's the other thing is that I'm all I'm already like I've been mapping out what's uh, what like a, my next act, you know, because of course here I just taped it. The first thing I did the week after after taping this last special was to get on stage and just force myself to do 15 new minutes. And I had already worked it out because now I know that I'm that I'm building. I'm marrying my worlds where it's, it's, it's going to be like the, the evolution of uh, the, the new crazy physical stuff mixed into the comedy. And so it's easier for me to figure out, like to, to write the material. And then as I grow up and with my life, I just got engaged. You told our audience the three fears that you know of right now, the spiders, the roller coasters and self-evaluation of your the spiders act. isn't as big of a thing for me. When it comes to your personal life, did you have a fear of commitment? Yeah. How did this woman take you out of that? In my first comedy special, that this was the you know, relationship is such a big thing about it. Like uh, that the arc of it, my first one was, you know, what, what ridiculous lengths as a young attention whore I went to trying to become famous. I, you know, it wasn't even about money. I just wanted to be loved. I wanted to, to, to be important on some level and, and in the minds of others. And uh, a big part of that, whatever this deficiency is, this, this need for validation, this need for attention, a big part of that uh, was the validation through acting out sexually. You know, just to, to have sex with as many women as I possibly could, to, to somehow, uh, you know, validate myself, to feel, to, to bolster my self-worth, when the irony is that, that having sex with, with hundreds of women doesn't improve your self-worth. It does quite the opposite. And um, I, I got to a point... I remember too is is uh who's the the uh Chris Depada De, De Chris Depada he's a manager he manages Billy Gardelli and a comedy club in Atlanta the Atlanta punchline the punchline yeah. and and my whole my like uh the evolution of over those first five years of my stand up like I like I was just a hundred percent blue oh I got my dick sucked you know like I had three three girls sucking my dick and this and that and, they, they, and I found a lot of humor in that and I, that was where. Yeah, I really did, uh, you know, the, the through line of premature ejaculation and this and that, like just sex, you know, like raunchy sex. And my dad called it audio porn. And uh, I went with this act down to, to the punchline in, in Atlanta. And, and Chris DePetta, 
he, 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 he sat me down. He actually chewed me out. He said, you've got potential, man. But this whole like sex thing, he's like, you see, you're, you're at an age where it's just not, it's just creepy, man. You know, like it's, people don't want to, you know, like people don't want to, to really hear that. And, and, and at the same time, I was well aware that I was at, at, at this age and, and I'm well aware with, with my, my, my journey in sobriety, you know, being a, a, a man on a 12 step path, like the idea of, of just cycling through and this doesn't jive with, with, uh, any, any like happiness, you know, I, I realize there's a problem. Did you look at that as an addiction as well? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and, and it started out where I, I thought, uh, you know, this is not the way to be happy. You know, I had a, like, and I was really candid and that's what's made my stand-up work is that I'm just honest, I'm open and I just put it out there. You know, I'm vulnerable as can be. It's and, the truth. And, yeah. And and I said, I've got to, uh, you know, if I'm going to be happy, if I'm going to have a good life, I need to stop like just hooking up with, with uh, random chicks on the road. When you go into the right. program and I'm not uh, in the program, but of course I obviously am <laughs> friends and know so sure. many people in the program. There's always a moment in time when for every single person that you're powerless. You realize you're powerless. Could you tell exactly our audience the experience of what happened with some girl or whatever, where you well, just I, I mean, there's, it's, it's one of the, one of the best jokes in that first special is that, and, and it's a hundred percent true. And I said, I promised myself, I am not going to hook up with any more random chicks on the road. And then there I was just minding my own business in a titty bar. <laughs> <laughs> and this beautiful young 20 year old dancer, she came, she came uh, is running over to me so excited and she swiveled around with her perfect little butt in this thong bikini and, and she stuffed it right in my face so I could see that on her butt cheek was very literally my autograph. My, like she had gotten Steve-O, the way I signed my name, tattooed on her butt and she wanted me to see it so badly. And, uh, and I, for, I, for, I for even forget what my, uh, how, how I put it there, but, but uh, you know, who, who am I to dash this woman's dreams? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so there, and, and, uh, and I broke my, and then like, as a, I just broke, I could not, that was the powerlessness. And I ended up going to see a therapist who specializes in sex addiction. And, uh, I just, I, I couldn't do it. I ended up going into this, uh, this intensive outpatient two week long sex addict rehab program in October of 2013. And um, following that, uh, I practiced celibacy for, for, I think it was 461 days. Is that the amount of time they tell you to? No, no. I, I, I just like did anything, everything else in my life. It was a year and three months. I did not, I did not masturbate. I did not, like, I, I actually did not without, ejaculate. Without giving away the program too much, I think what's fascinating for our audience to hear is obviously if somebody wants to look up the 12 steps, they can look them up and everybody can know what everybody in the program is studying and working towards. In terms of sex therapy, what are the steps that they tell you to? Now, it, it, it's it's very much the same steps. That step one 
is the only the only one that that alters for all the different fellowships. There's one for gambling. There's for overeating, for uh, codependency, for alcohol, for drugs, for sex. You know, you name it. There's a twelve step. Uh, fellowship for it and um, the step one says uh, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or over uh, you know compulsive sexual behavior like um, and you know it's only that first step and then the rest of it is all about the 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 recovery from it when they never even mentions whatever the behavior is but with alcohol or with drugs it's very black and white you know you either took a drink or you didn't you know you either took a drug or you didn't but with 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 uh, with sex, it's uh, it, it's 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 less black and white. So each person, each sex addict in recovery, is gonna have they're gonna have their own. Uh, it's called a circle program, a circle program where you define your sobriety. So you've got there's there's three lists that you're gonna make. One is uh, red light behaviors. We call this the inner circle, which on a on a uh, on a dartboard would be the bullseye. The inner circle, where that inner circle is red light behavior. If you do any of this behavior, that constitutes a relapse, and and you lose your sobriety date. So, um, you know, then and for different people, different things. Some behaviors that that uh, some sex addicts can can participate in, others cannot. You know, like for pornography, it's very destructive for a lot of people. Some a lot of people have pornography in their inner circle. Some people won't. You know, for me, like I just don't mess with it. You know, I, but that's a middle circle behavior for me. That's uh. There's red light, there's yellow light, there's green light. So you, so you, and, and you sort of prescribe, you define your own sobriety. So the first woman that you decide is going to be the woman that you're going to sleep with after 461 days. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was awful. It was awful, and and nothing against that woman at all. But um, a big part of for me. Um, you know, the, this recovery and, and it's really like the after chemical dependency, this is the next level, you know, this is all like, I mean, you could almost call it like graduate school kind of a thing, you know, and the next level is, is addressing the sex behavior for, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of people come into the sex program that have been in the chemical dependency program for a long, long time. And they'll, they'll show up and, and this, you know, the, it manifests in, in these different ways. The sex is a lot more insidious of an addiction. You know, when you meet a woman who you love and you are intimate with her, she wants to express herself the way she's used to expressing herself, but she might be expressing herself in a way that might trigger you in other ways. So how do you handle that? That, uh, they, they mean, the, the, the number one, a green light behavior, which we call outer circle, which is healthy behavior that you want to be participating in, is uh, you know intimate, loving sex within a committed relationship. You know, it's it's the approach to sexuality that we want to take away the compulsive, the destructive, the the addictive uh, behavior that that brings about shame and and regret and and guilt and and harms others, and we want to you know, sort of redefine our approach to it in a way that's healthy, that brings about intimacy and, and love. So the approach of the program is 
without, not to remove sexuality, but to change our approach to it. But without commitment. So if you are intimate with somebody who you aren't committed to, that's not healthy behavior. It depends. Again, we define our sexuality. We define what 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 our sobriety is. Some people can can have. Uh, you know, like their, their little, their circle plan, you know, they, they can have, I don't have to be in a committed relationship. On the special that you just showed me, I saw some things that really, really affected me. Things that affected me powerfully funny, things that affected me and almost touched my heart in a way that I hadn't seen the special. And then other things that really, really f***ed me up, especially a scene where you were convulsing. <laughs> Will you let me know how came about that you ended up becoming sober and what you attribute that to? Yeah, it's uh, been fairly well documented, but but yeah, it was. Um, I, I just reached a point where, thankfully, it, the my uh, drug and alcohol problem became so stark, so dramatic that it was just black and white. It just couldn't continue, and when it got to that point. My buddy Johnny Knoxville, um, he reached out to Dr. Drew Pinsky. He said, "Hey, um, you know, I think uh, Steve O is going to die. You know, he's really in. in the, he's reached that point. He's at the end of the line." And Dr. Drew said that he agreed. And, and Dr. Drew is someone I've been close with. And 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 at the time all of this was going on, I had put together uh, an email list of roughly 200 of the most influential people whose, whose uh, contact info I got my grubby little hands on. I copied and pasted Knoxville's, he made the mistake of, uh, of sending a mass email one time. I copied and pasted his whole address book into my email list. And, and this is while I'm in the throes of the darkest, most terrible addiction and, and just broadcasting in virtual real time videos and emails at all hours of the night just just blasting it out, broadcasting what was truly my downward spiral. And, uh, and, and a lot, it was to this day, one of the most just uh, mortifying, humiliating, you know, sagas, uh, you know, periods of my life that, that I was putting out this stuff that was just so humiliating. And on that, that actual email chain, which Dr. Drew was on and Knoxville was on. So they, you know, Knoxville reached out to Dr. Drew and said, I think we're going to, we're going to lose Steve-O. And Dr. Drew said, I couldn't agree more. Get over there. And if you have to tie him up, if you have to throw him in a trunk, if you have to, whatever you do, take him to the hospital and, and get him 5150. And I made that very easy for them because on the emails I sent out saying, oh, I'm ready to die, this and that. Like I had put in writing myself, like the very, you know, words that qualified me for the 5150, which is, you know, harmful to yourself or others. It's called 5150, which is the California code for the law, which states that. And I was such a special, a special, I was so belligerent and so uh, uh, spitting on people and just being, it was really in a bad place when I got to that hospital and they were putting me in. Uh, once I realized I wasn't going to talk my way out of it, I started, you know, I was throwing chairs, I was spitting on people. They changed my status to what's called 5250, yeah, it's not, which is it's just two a, weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's a minimum 72 hours, but if you can't prove that you're healthy enough to leave. Right, oh, they can keep you indefinitely. And, uh, and so I had, um, I had two weeks and, um, 
and, and but a number of things happened, uh, you know, in that psychiatric ward. This is where we where we ran out of time watching the the this new comedy special because we had to start this podcast. But I, I go into it on there and uh, in 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 more than candid <laughs> like uh, fashion. But um, about that is and, and what's so exciting. I think we we kind of said it, but not that clearly. I haven't sold that thing yet. You haven't even finished it yet. You haven't tried to sell it yet. Right. Well, I have. I mean, there, there's another pass to make for notes before I take it for E and O insurance, and then and then I can take it. It's out going to sell. I, I believe strongly that it's gonna it's gonna do well. And and it meant the world to me to get it to to get your eyes on it and then do your podcast with you. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I want to go way, way back. Take me back to where you grew up and what happened to just get you in the mindset that this is my lane and this is what I'm going for. And what was your first inspiration to getting into the crazy world of right. physical entertainment business? I think... Uh... I'm going to sound perhaps a little douchey when I say this, but uh, I think that the answer to this question is both uh, more um, unbelievable, really, and uh, and fascinating, and the, the, I, th I think I can concisely boil it down more than, than uh, most people could about their own lives. I was born in England. Um, I grew up in five different countries. Um, my mom was born in Canada. My dad was born in America. I was born in England, which makes me triple national, a citizen of three different countries. I've never met a triple national. Yeah. I'm, I've got three valid passports. Dad was uh, so successful uh, as a, a businessman, which most people wouldn't believe. But when I was six months old, my family moved from England to Brazil because dad... Uh, became the president of Pepsi Cola Brazil, like the whole Brazil. And then when I was about two years old, we moved to uh, from Brazil to Venezuela because dad got promoted to uh, run all of Pepsi Cola in, I forget if it was all Central America and it's just some kind of big thing. And then uh, four years old, I moved to Darien, Connecticut. Um, dad was still working for Pepsi, moved to Miami, Florida when I was six, England when I was nine, Canada when I was 12. At this point, dad was the president of Nabisco. Um, he, uh, we moved back to England when I was 13 
At which point, Dad didn't want to uproot the family so much anymore. It was important to him that I uh, stay in one place for for high school, and which was really an impressive high school, where eighty percent of my graduating class went on to Ivy League schools, and I was considered a loser for going to the University of Miami, which really isn't a bad school. Um, where I. Uh, I think this is kind of normal with you know dad, dad being so successful and and the dynamic of my parents, you know being so on top of the world. You know I I spoke my first words in Portuguese <laughs> because I was raised by live-in maids because dad and mom were were really busy living the life in Brazil. You know they were successful and and had everything going on, and so I I, I spoke my first words in Portuguese. Because the, the the maids taught me how to speak, and I think it, you don't have to be Sigmund Freud to understand that that there's you know a little bit of a of neglect. There's you know I wanted the attention. I'm sure I wasn't getting it, and that's got to be a factor in in me becoming the attention seeker that I became. Um, on top of that, my mom's side of the family, the alcoholism is so insidious, so rampant that at this point, I think uh, not only am I the only one to have achieved long-term sobriety, but you know, beyond uh, my cousins, you know, the next generation up, my mom, her brother, her sister, all dead from alcoholism. And all the way up the family tree, it's alcoholism, gambling, suicide. Like, uh, there's nobody left. You know, they've all, it's killed everybody. And um, so here I'm this kind of hybrid of uh, the, you know, this alcoholic. I've got really hardcore alcoholism, and that's what I was getting at saying is that it was so stark, so dramatic that there was no continuing. And thankfully, I don't have to wonder, do I belong in a 12-step program? Like, I don't have to, I'm not on the fence <laughs> about it, you know? And um, so I'm this kind of a hybrid between dad, who's this, you know, wholesome upbringing and super hardworking and, and really uh, this this driven, ambitious, you know, kind of with this deviance and this self-consciousness, this alcoholism. And as a child, I just was never comfortable in my own skin. I was always, and this is a common thing with alcoholism. So hard to believe watching you. Right, it's it's the, the dynamic of, of uh, being so terrified of not being loved needing to be loved so much like like what people th i'm so overly concerned with the opinions of others but i need their attention so much it's almost this like scary like position you end up with where i, I need to be in front of the class but i'm so terrified that my voice is trembling as i speak to them that uh you know it's this pressure cooker of, of uh of fear and self-consciousness and attention seeking which it's just such a crazy dynamic so what was the first influence of getting into this world of entertainment that you're in um well everything i put on is sort of uh you know a uniform i wasn't enough like in and of myself my 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 opinion of myself my self-esteem like i just i didn't amount to enough and so i always fit into some kind of a uniform and initially uh, I remember it being like little league baseball. Like I would show up, I would go to like to school. I would go to the movie theaters, like dressed in my full baseball uniform for a game day on a day when I didn't have a game. Like there's my Canadian citizenship card. I'm sitting there in the passport photo, uh, wearing full football pads. I was nine years old wearing like my, my pads, my full game day uniform. Like, like you see, like it, it would, 
I, if I was wearing my uniform with the full pads, then I felt like, oh, I'm a football player. Like I amounted to more. And then the uniform turned into the the, the mullet with the the jean jacket and the heavy metal patches. And then I was I was the heavy metal guy. And then it turned into the skateboarding. And then it turned into the pot. And it was always like, and the skateboarding led me to the video camera, which for so many people. You know, the, the skateboarders were ahead of the curve because no other activity lends itself to, to filming what you're doing to try to get sponsors. So a lot of skateboarders got, you know, ahead in, in the production world. And the first idea that went in your head about physical pain or stunt. Oh, I, I mean, who knows? I, I, don't, I don't even think I remember it. I know that they found me crawling on a window ledge outside some double digits floor before... Uh, you know, and and then my first attempt at walking, I think uh, I knocked out teeth. Is it, I heard something to that effect. I know that when I was when I was eight years old in third grade, I, I gathered all the kids around in the cafeteria and uh, and just unscrewed a shaker of salt and just emptied it out and just consumed just like like a you know like consumed the whole shaker of salt for the attention of my peers. When I worked on my book, I have this book, I'm like so proud of it. It's, you know, five star rated on Amazon. It's the New York Times bestseller. And it's just this, it's my story. Uh, it's called Steve-O Professional Idiot. And um, I have autographed copies on my website. If you go to my website, and I only charge, I think, 20 bucks for them. But um, the... Uh, the, the, when I was pulling together the material for that book, my sister is sort of the family historian and she had all my report cards. And there was this sixth grade report card with a, a, a comment on it from my, my homeroom teacher, Miss Iaquessa. And it said, Steve, at, the, at this time I was 11, 12 years old. And she wrote that Steve is so desperate for the affection and approval of his peers. But what he does, seeking is the affection and approval brings about the opposite results. And when I read that, as I pulled together this stuff, it, it pierced me. It hurt me. Like, wow, you know, like, and it, it's back to that dynamic of wanting the attention and wanting to be loved so much, but being so desperate for it and acting out in ways that brings about the opposite result. I alienated myself from my peers as I sought love from them. And so it started out as something that really made my, my childhood uncomfortable and uh, and painful and then you turned it into and a then, career and then i turned it into a career one six degrees of separation six degrees of separation i'm going to mention a few names just tell me something quickly that comes to okay. mind johnny knoxville six degrees of separation there, there's no separation there like uh <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of a joke that, that uh, Pontius once said that, you know, we, we don't need to get tested for AIDS, you know, like just one of us does. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Al Madrigal. Oh, well, I mean, Al's just someone who uh, he's been harsher towards me and, and less welcoming than anybody. And, and I think you would assume that a lot of standups would, would not want to welcome me, but, but it's not been the case except for Al Madrigal. <laughs> he's been, he's been uh, outspoken in a very kind of, uh, you know, a way that even upset me just like going out of his way to attack me in, in a vicious way that I didn't find funny. 
And um, ultimately, we had a conversation about it. And uh, it's just his own issues, man. You know, happy people don't try to tear other people down. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Uh, I remember when we did the Charlie Sheen roast, um, he had everybody over at his house before, you know, just to sort of create a sort of a chemistry between everyone, uh, a rapport. And uh, in his library, in his house, he said to me, um, he said, man, Steve-O, you and me, when we go down in flames, we're not fucking around. <laughs> and then after, after this, the roast, when it aired, he had all the same, he had everybody involved in the roast over to his house. And I remember I said to Jeff Ross, I said, Jeff, dude, I think we're in the most expensive crack house on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and I went over to Charlie Sheen. I took a photo with him. I said, can I tweet this photo of us with the caption? It says, I think I'm in the most expensive crack house on the planet. And Charlie goes, hilarious. Go for it. Totally. <laughs> and then I got a call from his management <laughs> the next day. They weren't happy about that one. Your proudest sure. moment in show business. Ah. Uh, I, I like to think that that's uh, yet to come. Um, I think that's that, that selling selling this this uh, this new and this new multimedia comedy special with all the jackass guys, the one I just showed you. I think that from a, a show business perspective, both as a creative and as, you know creative and business and and you know even like just all of it. You know, in front of the camera, behind the camera, you know, as a businessman, this is going to be the, the biggest move that I've made in, in my in my career and my life. Probably, I don't know. Sobriety is the biggest thing. Biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Um, when I think of regret, like like that, I I had my foot in the door in the stand up in two thousand and six, and I I burned four years by. Uh, by not, by, by not just just working on the same act, I, I could have. Been, I didn't, when I did that for for a special, I had five years. I could have had nine years. <laughs> All right, last question: What advice would you have for the young person growing up in three different countries, trying to figure out where he's going in his life, struggling uh, with addiction, and to have the kind of unbelievable and successful career that you've had? I think that uh, any advice, regardless of what it's for I think uh, what it is that you want to do, what it is that you wish to do, just start doing it. Don't wait for the invitation. Don't wait for the the audition. You know, just fucking do it, man. Like whatever you want to do, just fucking do it. You know, like and uh, and it doesn't matter within reason. It doesn't matter uh what you want to do it just matters really how badly you want to do it and 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 of course if you want to be in the nba you know there are going to be limitations but i strongly believe this is the best the best uh saying the best motto is there's no f such thing as luck luck is when preparation meets opportunity amazing thank you so much hey, Steve. Thank you. i really appreciate you coming As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamer
quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.